everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. Today, we're mixing things up a little bit. This is Aaron. I'm hosting today, and we're going to be talking to Jeff, who usually hosts the show. And it's really hot out there. I'm sure you guys know it's summer. So um, on the topic of heat, we uh, wanted to hear from Jeff his story of heat exhaustion in Arkansas, I believe. So That's right. Why don't you set the scene for us, Jeff? Gladly. So it was back in 2012 that this happened, and I wrote an article about it on the website a few years ago, but thought it would be cool to tell the story and give a little bit more detail. So really, it all kind of started at the beginning of 2012. I was training for the Cahutta 100, uh, which is a 100-mile mountain bike race that happens in Tennessee each year, like in April. So I was, I was training all through the winter, you know, building up my mileage. And yeah, I rode the race in April and I finished it. And, you know, I had, I had this like huge confidence boost after that. Just like, man, you know, I'm in great shape, best shape of my life. You know, I, I finished the race and after that, I kind of, I kind of stopped training. I wasn't, obviously wasn't training for the race anymore. I got back into my usual routine. Um, and so maybe I may have lost some of that fitness, I guess, but I definitely still, still had all the confidence from that. And then that summer, early in the summer, we took a three-week trip to Colorado. So while I was there, um, obviously I was riding a lot and, you know, was getting good altitude training in. It was a really hot summer in 2012. I think, I'm sure people say that every year, man, this is the hottest summer on record. But <laughs> 2012 was particularly hot. The, there were a lot of the wildfires were burning in Colorado while we were there. Um, actually, the Waldo Canyon fire, for those who remember, uh, was burning in Colorado Springs. We drove right by it and, you know, you could see the fire on top of the mountain, um, at dusk. I mean, it was, it was intense. It was a really, really hot summer. And so as I was driving back from Colorado, so I dropped Leah off at the airport in Denver. Um, and I was driving our car back to Atlanta. And while I was on I 70, I mean, this was literally, you know, an hour or so after I dropped Leah off at the airport, you know, I'm heading east on I 70. And my gas was low in the car, and I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to make it to the next next exit. And, you know, if you've ever driven that stretch of eastern Colorado, you know there aren't a lot of exits. and a whole lot of nothing out there in yeah, eastern Colorado. Yeah, and again, this was, I guess, my overconfidence or whatever. And, you know, I thought, well, it's fine. I got bikes on the back. Like, I'll go you know, get gas if I have to on my bike or whatever. And sure enough, I had to. Ran out of gas <laughs> on the highway. And before it happened too, it was like one of those situations where I'm like, okay, it's really low. It's really, really low. And I like turned off the air conditioner and, you know, it's getting hot in the car. I mean, it was, it was high nineties. It had to have been, you know, just full sun beating down. And, you know, then I, I turn off the radio. I'm like getting all tense and stuff, like starting to sweat in the car. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make it. And I didn't car ran out of gas. Uh, I was like two miles from an exit. So I, you know, put my plan into action. I jumped out of the car, uh, grabbed one of the bikes off the rack on the back. Fortunately, there was like a little access road, you know, kind of near the highway. So I like ran through the weeds with my bike and rode a couple miles up to this gas station, picked up a can of gas there, rode back with it on my bike, filled up and fortunately made it out of Colorado after that. Man. So this, uh, this adventure was, Sounds like it might have been doomed from the start. It was, yeah. And again, it was all the heat. So 
And my plan, I guess, was to drive back. I'm not sure entirely. It's probably to drive back in like two days. You know, yeah, I've done it. That's a, what is it? It's about 24, 25 hours yeah. from Atlanta to Colorado. Yeah, it's about 24 hours. And I've done it in almost, you know, straight shot, you know, just sleeping a couple hours or whatever. But this time, my plan was to ride the Silamo trails in Arkansas because it was kind of, kind of on the way. So after that, you know, I was hot. I, I sweated a ton just going out there and, and getting the gas and going back to the car. So I drove on, and that night I made it to Kansas, somewhere in Kansas, and found a campground and camped out. I had a little tent with me, and again, it was it was just so hot. That night I really couldn't sleep. I was just sweating the whole time. Um, and yeah, just had a hard time getting a good sleep and definitely lost a lot of hydration that night as well. So the next day I woke up early cause I knew I had to get, had to get back to Atlanta, um, that evening, but I definitely wanted to make sure I had time to ride the Silamo trails. For those who don't know, the Silamo trails in Arkansas are, it's an Imba epic or it was at one time. I don't know if it still is, um, that are, that's located in the Ozarks in Arkansas. So I was really stoked to check this trail out, but I also knew that I didn't have a lot of time. So I, I woke up at dawn, you know, packed up the tent real quick and drove through Kansas, through Missouri. It's crazy the the back roads and things that I, I was taking to get to this place. I mean, there was I was off the interstate for twelve hours at least of the driving. <laughs> it was just and and a lot of the roads were just like named roads. They weren't even highways. You know, they'd be like Jim Bob Farm Road, and like you know, some of them were like barely even paved and stuff. I mean, it was it was crazy. It was a bad idea. I mean, even if something had happened in my car, you know, driving out there, I don't I don't know what I would have done. So you make it through Kansas. You make it through Missouri. Now you're in Arkansas and Ozarks. It's like western. Arkansas or, uh, or central maybe? I feel like it's central. Okay. I feel like it's like north central where I was. Yeah, there's definitely parts of the Ozarks on the west side. I think that's Mount Ida. Okay. Another Emba epic area. A lot of good mountain biking. For those who haven't been to Arkansas, it's a surprisingly beautiful state. Um, actually, that same summer you were doing this, I was on a cross-country road trip going the other direction. And, um, yeah, I ended up spending, like, an extra day in Arkansas just because it was amazingly beautiful. And, you know, I, I guess Arkansas is starting to come up now, but it kind of flies under the radar in general. Yeah, well, what was interesting, too, I mean, these trails, I'd never been, obviously, um, but I imagine that there would be people out there, um, but I, I would later find out nobody was out there that day. It was 100 degrees that day, maybe 101 or something, but it was it was definitely a really, really hot day. And so I, when I got to the, the trailhead, I had my GPS on my phone leading me to the trailhead and pulled off to the first little pull-off that I could see. It looked like a campground or, you know, like a little primitive campsite. Got the bikes off the got my bike off the car and started heading up this trail and pretty quickly i mean within like a couple hundred yards i realized this isn't a trail i'm in the wrong spot so i you know packed up my stuff got back on the road went down a little bit farther and found the real trailhead but once i got there you know it was a beautiful parking lot good kiosk and everything i was definitely in the right spot but nobody was there it's completely empty um, this was middle of middle of nowhere. I mean, there's there's mountains. It's it's a national forest area, um, so it was, it was super quiet. So the other thing that I 
failed to do. And looking back, I don't know how I did this. I, I didn't have a map and I didn't even look at a map. I think there, maybe there was one at the kiosk, but I didn't, I didn't have any clue what the trail looked like. You know, if it was a loop or if it was stacked loops or, or what, I'm not sure what I was thinking, but I headed out anyway. It was, it was super hot. I had a couple of water bottles, but again, I was by myself. I don't know if anybody really knew exactly where I was riding that day. Yeah, and obviously that was a that was a bad decision. So I started started riding. No Camelback. No Camelback. I don't. I don't. Or use hydration camelback. pack yeah. of another brand. I don't. I don't use those. Uh, so yeah, I could have had more water if I had one of those, but I just had water bottles. Um, I did have a spare tube. Had a GPS and a phone. So. I was moderately prepared, but that's being generous. So I started riding the trails. The trails were excellent, um, really cool, like kind of crushed gravel tread. And there were some, some rocky sections. And it was, I mean, it was, it was like riding in the mountains. It reminded me of Pisgah in a lot of ways, just a little bit drier. And so I rode, rode for a while. I was feeling good and I was just having a good time. Um, and then I came to a fork in the trail where basically, you know, if I headed left, it would take me in a loop back to the car, I assumed. Um, or if I, if I headed right, I could go out for a little bit more. So I decided to go right. And again, I, I told myself, I'm going to go out for a little bit and then I'm going to turn around if I start getting tired or, you know, this trail just ends up going too far. So I rode around for a while. Trail climbed up. There was a cool, like, overlook where I stopped for a second and I realized, you know what, I'm getting, I'm getting pretty far out here. I better, (laughs) better turn around. And I was getting hot by that point for sure. So as soon as I turned around, I realized I had a flat tire and I don't, I don't know what caused it or, or what the problem was, but, but as soon as that happened, I was just like, Oh no, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Mainly just because of the heat, you know, it was just so hot. And i didn't want to stop moving at all, especially because I was kind of at the top of a climb. So, you know, I was looking forward to just turning the bike around and having a breeze and getting back to the car and drinking some Gatorade. But, but that wasn't in the cards. So I sit down, take a minute to like, think about what the situation is. And I realize it's really hot. I don't want to change this tire. Um, but that's, that's what I had to do. Cause there was nobody out there. Nobody was going to come by and, you know, I could ask them for help or anything. So, um, I slowly started changing the tire and this would normally take me like five minutes, but it ended up taking 20 minutes to change this tire. Uh, I was, I was going super slow. Part of it was I, I wanted to make sure I didn't mess it up because I only had this one spare tube that I was putting in. And part of that too, in my experience, whenever I change a, a flat, man, I want to put a ton of pressure into the tire to make sure that I'm not going to get another one. So you know, I spent a long time and a lot of energy pumping this tire up. So it was like rock hard. So I finally get it done and I hop on the bike, ride down just a couple of switchbacks and then poof, tires flat again. So you're going back the way you came originally at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to go back to the car, trying to backtrack. And when this happens, you know, I'm really just like, oh man, I'm in trouble here. So uh, again, I stop and, and the sweat's just pouring down. And all of a sudden I get this, this feeling like I've got to take all my clothes off. Like I'm so hot. I need to just like get naked because that's how I'm going to cool down. And so I like throw my helmet off. I get my gloves off. I start like 
you know, unzipping my jersey and I'm like, hold on, wait a minute, what am I doing? (laughs) And for some reason I had this feeling that I needed to like lay down in this little like gravel ditch to, I guess, to get away from the sun or, or I don't know what it was. But as soon as I took a minute, I was like, whoa. Like my, my brain is not working. Right yeah. Now. That's, that's, this is a normal thought process right. I should be having right. right now. I was overcooked at that point. So I don't have a spare tube. I don't have a patch kit or anything. So I realized, all right, I'm walking it out at this point. And I was still just so hot. I, I needed to cool down. And there was like a little Creek down below where I was that I could see. So I thought, oh, I'm, I'm just going to, um, I'm going to walk down the hill to that little Creek. I'm going to sit down in it, you know, cool off a little bit. Maybe I'll drink some of the water too, because my water was gone at this point. And, you know, I'm sure I'll get sick from it, but at least I'll have some hydration for, you know, a little bit before I start throwing it up. And actually, maybe it's another story for another time, but when I was in high school, I was riding with a friend and he got really dehydrated, was all out of water. And he was delirious at the time. And, And we, me and a couple of my buddies, we didn't have water either. So we filled up his, his water bottle from a Creek, um, and told him that he had water. We were like, Oh no, it's all right, man. You already had, you have some more water. You just forgot you didn't drink it up. So he drank it, ended up getting back to the, the trail or whatever. But then like later that day he was in the hospital. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's from the dehydration or from drinking the Creek water. I don't know. But yeah, so that was kind of in the back of my mind, but, but yeah, so I never, I, I don't know why I didn't, but I never did drink, drink the water. Mainly, you know, when I got down to the the water, this part of the, it was like a little tributary of a larger river. It was kind of like stagnant water and the water was like really warm too. I mean, it didn't even cool me off at all by getting into it. And so I thought, all right, well, maybe I'll just walk down the creek because at least that way I'll stay cool. Um, and the creek's got to eventually lead somewhere. You know, that's, that's what I learned in the Boy Scouts was like, you know, if you're, if you're like truly lost in the woods, like follow a creek eventually it's going to come to a, you know, a bridge or a town or something. So I start walking down this Creek bed and pretty quickly I come to this like drop off. I mean, it's like a 20 foot waterfall and I'm in like kind of this, you know, ditchy Canyon thing. And like, there's no way to go down this. Like I can't jump down it. I might be able to like walk up the side of the thing and like walk down beside it and then jump down in later. But like, I realize this is going to take way too much energy just to try to follow this Creek. So I look, I look around me and I can see sort of a clearing or maybe a trail like up the hill, the opposite side from where I came into this little Creek. Um, so I head up for that and it turns out to be like, like a logging area. And I'd seen signs earlier in the day that said that they were logging this area and and that the trails were technically closed, uh, like during daylight hours, I guess when the logging was going on. So I thought, okay, this is great. The the logger guys are going to be there. I can flag somebody down, like maybe get some water. Um, and then I'll, I'll be good. So I start walking through this, this logging area and it was, I mean, it was seriously just dry and dusty and, and really steep too. I mean, these aren't, trails or roads even this is just you know clear-cut logging area and it's really hot too because there's no more shade at this point but you know i figure i've just got to get somewhere where i can find somebody a car or a, a worker or somebody so i eventually make it up to the top of this this hill and there's a truck i, I guess it was a bulldozer maybe and, and nobody's there no, there are no workers, nothing's going on. So I thought, oh, maybe, maybe somebody left a drink like in the cab or like, 
you know, the melted ice from their like <laughs> Coke the day before or something, you know? So I like go over there and hop up in the cab. There's nothing there. I mean, at this point I was looking for any liquid, you know, if there had been like a thing of motor oil, like I probably would have like just put it on my tongue to like <laughs> have some moisture there. Cause it, I was just, I had never been so thirsty, but so, you know, I realized this is not going to lead me anywhere. I need to just keep going, follow this logging area back to a road because they, they had to have gotten the heavy equipment out there somehow. So I'm walking down the road and I'm not making much progress. I can, I can walk like 10 yards at a time and then I stop and I literally sit down to find a shady spot. I sit down and wait until my heart rate gets back down again and I can, I feel like I can move and, you know, I do this repeatedly. And while I'm doing this, I'm thinking back, I really like um, reading stories about survival and particularly like people that are stranded at sea. To me, that's like, we like to think that we're toughest mountain bikers and like, you know, we can survive stuff and whatever. We're rugged people. But I mean, you look at like a sailor, like somebody who's on a boat, like by themselves out in the middle of the ocean, like there's, there's nothing compared to that. Like that's, that's scary to me anyway. Um, but so these guys, you read about these stories of these guys that are like in a life raft or whatever, and they're forced to drink their own urine. And every time I read that in a book, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's just, I can't imagine that. How did they do that? I would, I would just die. I would die. I would not drink my own urine. But at, at this point while I was walking, I was, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, I would love some urine right now. Like, I, would, <laughs> I wish I had to yeah, pee. I'll, right. I want a glass, a tall glass of urine right now because I'm just so thirsty. Like I'll put anything wet in my mouth. But, you know, yeah, like I said, I, I didn't have to pee. Like I probably would have had a hard time. I was just completely dehydrated at that point. So I, I do this for a little while longer and finally I, I just realize you know, I'm, I'm not making any progress. Who knows where this is even going to lead? I, I wasn't even sure, you know, if it was going to come to a road anytime soon or if it did, if it would even be a road that was being used. So, right. It could just be Jim Bob road. Right. Exactly. Nobody driving down. Exactly. It. And it is a national forest. So there are no houses. There's no, you know, infrastructure of any kind out in this area. So so I finally made the decision that I, I got to call 911. I've got my cell phone. I looked at my phone and I had, you know, like one bar or something. And so I was like, man, you know, I got, I got a signal here. I'm going to, I got to call 911. So it was, re- I was really reluctant to do it. I mean, I hate, hate asking for help. And I, I've also read and written plenty of stories about people who, take advantage of like 911 or people who call and it's not really an emergency. And, you know, I, I really struggled back and forth. Like, man, is this an emergency? Like, or am I, am I just being dumb? Like making a big deal about this? But, but yeah, I finally decided to call and the guy on the phone was like, you know, I mean, he's obviously asking like, are you okay? And I could barely talk, you know, if you've ever been really dehydrated, you know, like your voice goes and it's, it's, it's difficult to talk. I mean, that's like one of the first signs of dehydration, I guess. But I I mean, I had like no voice. It was completely raspy. I was having a hard time talking to the guy, but I was trying to tell him, you know, I'm fine. Uh, (laughs) I'm not fine. (laughs) I'm I'm not injured at least. Um, because I guess, right. You're not bleeding out. Right. Right. He was trying to make sure I didn't have like a broken leg or something. And that, that I wasn't really lost. I mean, I thought I knew where I was. I had a GPS. Um, I had my watch, 
uh, GPS watch and I had, had my phone too. But the, the problem was I was dehydrated and I really just couldn't make it uh, back to my car. So I should also mention at this point, you know, I, I've had this flat tire and I was still pushing the bike and maybe that was a bad decision. I thought a couple times, like maybe I'll just, I'll just ditch it here in the woods and, you know, that'll make it a little bit easier, but I never did that. I, you know, I was just pushing it. I, I figured it didn't take a lot of extra energy, but I, I was being so lazy about it that the tire was like wrapped around the axle at this point and like the chain had come off. So it was completely like the whole drivetrain was just locked up. Um, as really, there's no way to make that bike move. And at that point I really should have just ditched it, but I did keep pushing the bike. It was kind of a thing to like lean on at least. So I wasn't just like completely collapsing <laughs> on the ground. But anyway, so I'm on the phone with the guy and he, He's asking me where I am and, you know, I'm looking at my GPS and it's got like the latitude and longitude and I'm like giving him coordinates. I'm, like I'm thinking I'm being all helpful. Yeah. The guy's like, I don't know what to do with that. So <laughs> he's like, do you have like a street address? I'm like, no, I don't. But fortunately, you know, they're able to track your phone. So he was eventually able to get uh, my location with that. But the problem was where I was, there was no road. Um, again, I was still kind of in this logging corridor and it wasn't on his map at all. So he's like, ah, I don't know how I can get anybody to you. He's like, just head east, you know, toward this road. And eventually, you know, I think you're going to pop out on this, this road that I do have on my map. So I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds right. I'll, I'll keep going. And so he kept me on the line the whole time um, as I'm walking toward this road. And eventually I make it. I don't think it was that far. I think it was maybe half a mile or so from when I called, but I'm still on the line with the 911 guy. And so I get up to this road and there's like a, it's like a little pit toilet kind of bathroom. So it's like a, looks like a legitimate trailhead. So I just plop down there in the dirt and all of a sudden I hear, I hear like a siren in the distance and I'm thinking, Oh man, they're sending like a huge fire truck up here. Like, <laughs> like the road that I made it to also is like just a dirt road, like a fire road kind of thing. Um, wasn't, wasn't paved or definitely wasn't a major road at all. Um, so I hear this thing like, you know, winding up the switchbacks of the mountain and it's getting closer and closer. And then finally I see this, this vehicle coming through the, through the trees. And it's like this old, old Toyota Camry <laughs> with a sweet, with like a stick on flashing light. Like one of those, I guess it's like a magnet the guy just like pops it on top of the car and like. Always well, wanted to do that. Yeah. Just have one in the glove box. <laughs> right. Well, this guy, and so this guy pulls up. He didn't, I don't think he haven't even had air conditioning in his car. He's got his windows all rolled down, and he's a big, fat guy. I mean, he was, he must have been 300 pounds. Like, this guy was huge. Like, the whole car is like really low to the ground, and he hops out, and he's like, has this cold bottle of water, and he hands it to me. I'm like, oh, thank you. So I like drink the whole thing down. He gets out of the car, opens his trunk. He's got a cooler in the back and he's got like some power aids on ice. So he hands me that. I drink that down. And you know, he's like, oh, don't drink it too fast. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but I'm so thirsty. So, so then another, I guess another volunteer firefighter crew comes up. These guys are in like a truck and they, it's like a nicer, nicer truck with air conditioning. So they like load up my broken bike in the back of the truck and, you know, get me in the truck and drive me down. And, and it ended up being, it ended up being a long way just to get back to the highway. Uh, there's sort of like the main highway that I come in on. 
but it is at least six miles down this dirt road to get to the highway. And then from there, back to my car, you know, it was another five miles or so. So, you know, at that point I realized, man, you know, if I had tried to do this on my own, it would have been, it would have been after dark by the time I got back, if I got back at all. And the thing is we never saw anybody on the dirt road. So that like six mile dirt road to get to the highway, I don't think anybody would have driven that all day long. So see, I was really fortunate to have those guys. I'm really grateful that, um, those volunteer firefighters were able to respond so quickly. I mean, I imagine those guys were like at their job or whatever. And like, they jumped in their car and like got some cold drinks and came up. I mean, it's like, I feel bad. It was like, this is like my concierge service, but, but it really was Jeff's um, thirsty. We got to go. Right. Right. And it was totally my fault. I mean, again, I, you know, should have had more water, uh, should have been more prepared with tools. Shouldn't have been riding alone should have been riding on such a hot day. I mean, there's so many things that I did wrong there, but they're also, you know, I hate to admit it, but I've done those things wrong. You know, I had done them before then and never gotten in trouble. And I've probably done some of them since then too. But yeah, it's definitely one of those situations where you, you hope you learn from it, but I don't know if you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think you just had, had all these things that maybe you get away with, you get away with one or two of them, but they all kind of conspired and layered on top of one another and ended up having a terrible day. So what, uh, you mentioned a couple of them already, but what are some of the the lessons you learned from this, uh, whole ordeal? Yeah. Well, I will say, I should say that I've never made all those mistakes in a single ride since then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the biggest one, the biggest takeaway and the one that I, I really haven't strayed too much from is riding alone. I I used to do that pretty regularly, but since that time, I I really don't do it much at all, if at all anymore. One, it's just more fun to ride with other people, but two, it's really easy. I mean, anything could happen while you're riding. You could, you could wreck and get hurt real bad. Even if you're going slow and you're taking it easy. I mean, you hear about it all the time, guys riding and yeah, I mean, you have a heart attack, you don't, you don't know. So Riding alone is definitely something that I try to avoid all the time. The other thing is definitely avoiding the heat. You know, in the summertime, I typically ride at night to avoid the heat. But also, if I'm in a ride during the day, I I try to do it early on. And then I also really scale back my rides. You know, it's it's, summer is not the time to try to go do, you know, your biggest ride of the year or like tackle some really gnarly route that you've always wanted to try or whatever, you know, summer for me, I, I take it pretty easy and really look for the signs for heat exhaustion. You know, I was out riding, uh, with a friend a few weeks ago out of Fort Yargo. And again, this Fort Yargo is one of these places. It's like, yeah, it's pretty easy, fast, not a lot of climbing. And it's a place where you can, you can get really overconfident and just be like, this is going to be an easy ride. But you know, like two thirds of the way through one loop out there, I was like, Whoa, I'm really hot. You know, I, I probably shouldn't do any more after this. Like I really need to just pack it in and call it a day. Cause it's just getting too hot and I don't want to be in that situation again. So I think knowing your limits is really important. And then the water thing, the water thing is probably the thing that I am the worst about. I mean, for one, I, I hate carrying it, but two, I don't know. That's just always how I've been. Like I've always tried to 
be like a camel and like <laughs> just to see how far I can go without drinking or like waiting, seeing how long I can wait until I have to drink and like conserving water. But that's so stupid to do that. Like it's, that's really, really dumb. You know, like I mentioned, I was, I was a boy scout and I used to teach this merit badge called wilderness survival. And one of the things I always like telling people about hydration and water is that, that there's been many instances where you know, people have died of dehydration. They find like these dead bodies in the desert with canteens and there's still water in their canteen because they were, they were rationing the water, you know, and that's, that's not a smart thing. You know, if you're thirsty, drink and drink until your water's all gone. Like don't try to save it, you know, cause you're like, oh, well, I'm going to get really thirsty later. Like don't, don't do that. Yeah. It's also a good idea to carry some either iodine or chlorine tablets or some, some sort of you know, small water filter with you in case you do, like you did, you came, came upon a water source, but you know, you said it was kind of stagnant and may have gotten you sick. So <laughs> at least, uh, you know, if you have, if you have some way to treat the water, it gives you a bit better chance. And also they don't take up a whole lot of space, you know? Yes. A little bottle of iodine tablets is yeah, it's tiny. The, yeah, it's like the size of your thumb. Maybe. Yeah, and you don't need a whole bottle. I mean, you need like three tablets or something, yeah. you know? So, yeah, that's a really good tip. Well, yeah, this, uh, this whole story has some echoes of my experience at ORAM last week, which is the off-road assault on Mount Mitchell. And I know Jeff just said you shouldn't go try to tackle your longest or toughest ride of the year in the middle of summer, but that's when they schedule O-Ram for whatever reason. Um, I think it was on July 31st this year. So it's a race in Western North Carolina. Um, it's, it's kind of East of Asheville and the, and that's another section of Pisgah over there. And it's 62 miles, I think somewhere around there, 60, 62 miles. It was two miles longer this year. They were, redoing one of the roads that you ride on early on in the race. So they added an additional two miles of pavement on the front end to work around that. So it was a little bit longer this year. There's, you know, 11,000 feet of climbing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, earlier this year, uh, kind of like you, Jeff, I was, you know, I was doing a lot of training like you were for the Kohutta in advance of that. I was doing it for the Transylvania Epic, you know, it was really you know, regimented about my program, followed it to a T, went and had a really successful Transylvania Epic. And then when I got home, I kind of, I've kind of been still riding a lot, but not doing a lot of the very intense specific training just because, I mean, it takes up a lot of time. So I've been trying to get, you know, one or two rides in during the week and then a really big hard ride in on the weekends where, you know, basically treated almost like a race simulation. So anyway, started ram this year was feeling i didn't sleep very well the whole week leading up to it so i didn't feel awesome at the start but i was keeping a good pace my goal was to be sub six hours and i was cruising i was with you know the, the front front part of the race for like the first 10 miles or so i you know i could see like the guys that eventually went on to win the race so i was feeling pretty good about my chances and made it to Curtis Creek Road, which is the worst road in the world, I'm pretty sure, at least to me. And it's a 10-mile gravel climb that takes you up to the Blue Ridge Parkway. And this 10 miles, it is all climbing. There's not one flat part. There's not one brief descent. So you you have you know you have no chance to rest your legs at all. It's all it's just pedaling. 
And uh, the bottom part starts out fairly mellow, and it's actually kind of nice. You're right next to Curtis Creek, which is beautiful. There's these huge, like, moss-covered boulders in the creek bed, and it's it's gorgeous. But as you get higher up out of that, it gets more open. You're in the sun a little bit more. The grade starts to increase. So uh, I made it to the halfway point, still feeling pretty good, still hauling ass. And then around mile 35, I just totally, totally exploded horribly. To give you some idea of how bad things went, uh, it took me three hours to go 34 miles, and then it took me an hour to do the next two miles. So I got to the point where I started cramping. I mean, I'd been I'd been drinking plenty of water. I'd probably had you know almost six bottles at this point because it was so hot. It, I mean, so hot and so humid. Just, I mean, I was totally drenched, just soaked. I mean, my, you know, my jersey was soaked, my chamois was soaked, my shoes were just full of sweat. Just, I mean, just disgusting amount of sweat. So I started cramping. Tried to ride through it as best I could. That wasn't really happening. So I got off and I tried to walk, and I would walk for a little bit, try to get back on. Immediately started cramping again. So I knew I was, I knew I was in trouble because, you know, if I've still got half the race left essentially, and I'm cramping now, there's still, you know, another 5,000 feet of climbing to get through. So as I'm walking up, I'm starting to kind of go through my, go through the different scenarios that could play out. So if I, I, thinking if I make it up to if I make it up this climb to the top of Curtis Creek Road, you're on the Blue Ridge Parkway. You have a mile descent, which would be nice, but then you have a four mile climb on the parkway in the sun. I mean there's no you know, you're you're on pavement, so it's gonna be hot as shit. And then from there you have a hike a bike that's not very long, but it's definitely taxing. It's probably two hundred yard hike a bike to get to the top of Heartbreak Ridge. And then Heartbreak Ridge is, I want to say, it's a long descent. I mean, it's probably six or eight miles of just straight descending. And it's, it's pretty technical, um, you know, especially, you know, I was on a, on a lightweight hardtail, you know, no dropper post, nothing like that. So it was straight up race bike. And at this point, when I was on Curtis Creek Road, I barely had the strength to hold myself up while I was climbing. So going down heartbreak ridge would have definitely been challenging and then when you get to the bottom of heartbreak you still got to you got a long section of road and then you have a trail called kitsuma which has a bunch of really tight steep switchbacks to get up and over and then you have the descent off of kitsuma which is pretty rowdy and then you've got like a couple more miles of road to get back to town so you considered every bit of that like i you did went through the whole course I did. in your I, mind i really did <laughs> so because I'm, I'm like you know can you like i can do like two of these climbs but like oh the last one there's no way yeah well that's what yeah i was like i was like i can probably i can probably make it down heartbreak right probably but i'm like i definitely don't have the legs to do kitsuma again so I'm like, that. well, you know, then I'm going to end up bailing at the bottom of heartbreak anyway, so I should just, you know, I should just pull the plug now. Yeah. You said you were feeling nauseous too, right? Oh, yeah, I was, yeah. So this is, this is the other thing that started to happen, like, as this, this whole, you know, as all these things are playing out in my head, I'm walking the bike up this road, and 
my heart rate won't go down. Like my heart is just pounding. You know, I'll, I'd take a sip of water and immediately throw it back up. And I was like, oh shit, this is not good. So yeah, kind of like, like you, I, I just had this, uh, you know, I, I decided, you know what, this, this, this isn't going to happen. I'm pulling the plug. What I'm going to do is I'm going to wait until my heart rate goes back down, however long that may take. And then once it does finally go down, I'm going to hop back on my bike and just coast back down Curtis Creek road. Uh, there's a checkpoint at the bottom and then I can, you know, catch a ride with somebody back into town the last few miles. So that was my plan. And, and, uh, like you had, I, you know, I was, I was angry and also probably a little bit, uh, delusional. I don't know. What do you, yeah. what was that? Like uh loopy. I don't know. Yeah. I, so I, I threw my helmet off. I threw my gloves off through the bike and I was literally laying in a ditch on the side of the road. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, people were riding by me, um, and this was this was maybe just a half mile shy of the top of the road. So everybody at this point is just shelled. So the people that are passing me are like asking me if they can help me, but obviously they can't, and they, <laughs> they don't want to. They don't want to. Either. They don't want to stop. I'm not going to make anyone stop. So as I'm laying there, uh, just you know, eyes closed, flat on my back, this guy rolls up in the truck, and he was like. Hey man, uh, you want to ride? And, you know, at this point I had already decided that I was done. So I was already going to take a DNF. And so what's the harm in also getting a ride, you know, no shame in that. (laughs) So the guy like, like your, uh, like your hero, my hero had a uh, cooler full of ice water and gave me a bottle of, gave me a bottle of water. And I could stand up, but I couldn't stand up fully. So I'm like standing up, but like bent over, like doubled over, hands on my knees. And, uh, I mean, he, this dude was awesome. He, he loaded my bike up for me in the back of his truck. He had this really nice truck with like leather interior. And, you know, I'm soaking, yeah, yeah, I'm soaking wet and all covered in dirt because I've been laying in a ditch. So yeah, he ended up giving me a ride back down and it turns out he was, he was actually with the leaders as well. Um, this guy was super fit looking, some, some guy from Florida. I wish I'd had his name, but, uh, he, he was, yeah, he was definitely like in contention with the front guys. And I think he broke his chain or snapped his derailleur or something, something broke on his bike. So his day was over. So what he had done was, he got to to whatever aid station he was close to and then got in a ride back to town and then he got in his truck and he was just driving up and down Curtis Creek road, handing out ice water to people. So I'm like, dude, you're, you're the man. So as we're heading back down, there are other people definitely in, you know, in a bad way, people just stopped, like slumped over their handlebars and he'd roll up to him and (laughs) hand him a bottle of water and we'd keep going. So yeah, it was definitely it was definitely the right call, you know. Um, I I never wanted a DNF. I've only ever had a couple of them. I mean, I've I've done hundreds of races, and this is maybe my like third DNF ever. So it's you know it's something. This is I guess just a point of pride. Obviously, I don't want to. I don't want to not finish. So usually I can push through, but this was this was something different. You know, I could I could tell once my when my heart rate wouldn't go down, even though I was walking, I was like, this is not, this is not something, uh, something normal. Yeah. Vomiting is my, <laughs> that's my cutoff point. If, yeah. I, if I can't keep water down or anything, I mean that, you know, you're in bad shape. That's happened to me a few times. Actually, usually it only happens to me on the road and it's usually like after I stop, but 
yeah, that's not good. Not a good situation. No. No, I, yeah, the vomiting is not good, but I've definitely pushed through. <laughs> pushed through some other races where wow. I've been puking. But, yeah, this this one was, uh, it was, it was not good, yeah. So I got back to my truck, and I just, you know, sat in there for probably a half an hour with the AC blasting. And, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely glad I, I pulled the plug when I did because I think if I had tried to go any longer, I really, really would have, you know, who knows what happened, but it wouldn't have been good because I, I, I felt pretty terrible the rest of the day and the, and the, the following day. So I, I can't imagine what I might've felt like if I tried to go any farther. Yeah. And even if you were able to keep going, you know, in that state where your mind's not right and your body is definitely, you know, just exhausted, you could, you could have a bad crash too. I mean, even right. if you're going down, even if you're top of the hill and you're like, Oh, I'll be fine. Cause I'm going down. Like that's, that's risky business right there. Indeed. Anything else? <laughs> Any other horrible stories? <laughs> Tell Chris Kelly's story, but that's his story. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope, uh, these stories, uh, from Jeff and I have been interesting to listen to and hopefully you guys learn something from them so remember when you're out there in the heat of the summer don't mess around don't ride in the heat of the day don't go too hard bring plenty of water and always ride with a buddy so that's uh that's all we've got for you guys this week if you want to learn more about summer riding tips or find jeff's story on our website go to singletracks.com and search for it so we'll talk to you next time peace